Brian Ministries International presents Todd Talks, featuring Todd Edwards. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Allison. Yeah, you captured uh, everything that I, I, I hope happens today. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, I am meeting everyone. I'll get going. Amen, amen. Are you guys having fun in Isaiah? Have you been learning anything? Anything? I know, I know Peter's had a couple comments, which have been really good. Um, I've really been enjoying digging into Isaiah. And in fact, Kendra, maybe it was with Kendra, at some point in time in a conversation, I remember many months ago saying, I wonder if we're going to be able to go into Isaiah. Because I, I kind of saw this sign out in the spirit, go to Isaiah. Go at, but that was many, many months ago, and, and I'm, I'm glad we're here. <clears throat> Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, very, 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 very famous passage. That's what we're going to start in today. I'm sure it's about trees, yeah. <laughs> sure about trees. Um, so before we get started in Isaiah 53, I want to share with you some just kind of general thoughts. Tony was sharing some thoughts about warfare, what was going on uh, with her and the, and the circle around her. And I want to share some thoughts in, in general because uh, it – what I try to share uh, in these Bible studies is comes from my, my own study and kind of overflow. And a lot of times you'll see uh, diversions and connections out of the passage that we're going through because it's part of what I, where the Holy Spirit led me during the week. And I also want to give you some uh, thoughts uh, if something is really uh, heavy on my heart. So I want to share a couple things that are really heavy on my heart before we get in. Uh, first thing. There was a couple. There was there was a couple things this week that really mm, was was really pressing. One of them: do not mix streams. What does that mean? Uh, there is a principle going back into the book of the law, uh, so it highlights what God really wants to do. But He even took it all the way back to Noah, and He took it back to the creation. Uh, each kind produces after its own kind. And in Genesis 6, the fallen angels were mixing species. They were mixing their fallen angel components with mankind. They were mixing beasts with, with each other and mankind. Just a whole big mess. Mess, mess, mess. So God does not want us to mix species. He doesn't want us to even mix garments according to the law, linen or wool. He doesn't want us to mix seeds in the field. They're supposed to be separate. We're not supposed to combine things. That whole blows up the whole GMO stuff. We're not supposed to mix righteous and unrighteous. We're not supposed to mix holy and unholy. And we're not supposed to mix clean and unclean. Now, why am I saying this? Because in your own lives, the more you press in to the face and the presence of God, the more he requires a clean, holy lifestyle, a clean, holy thought process. 
And that means, and they say this in computers, garbage in, garbage out. Same thing with us. It's the same thing with food, what you feed, your body, you become, especially in the spirit. So with all the chaos around us, even more so, we need to have clean streams, cleaner and cleaner and cleaner streams, more holy, more holy, more holy. During the book of Acts, the reason that people were healed by Peter's shadow is it wasn't his shadow, it was the presence of God that was so in him and so dwelling in him manifest that it actually went out past his body and his shadow had the healing or the presence of God. So it's the same thing that Paul did when he passed out the handkerchief and it was the handkerchief that was anointed because there was so much presence of God because there was an outpouring of this holy stream. This holy stream, the reason I'm bringing this up now, the holy stream is now activated in another level. It is another way. It is ramping up. This is, and this is also what I mean by this. From Galatians uh, chapter 4, verse 7, it says, God is not mocked. You will reap what you sow. Now, a lot of people will quote that, you reap what you sow, you reap what you sow. But it starts off with God is not mocked. This is a spiritual exchange. We've been talking a little bit about merchandising with, with Isaiah. That whole process of reaping what you've sown and the world reaping what it's sown is now on an accelerator. In the past, we might have reaped what we've sown over the course of weeks, months, years. There is now an acceleration of reaping what's been sown. And I've seen this in my own life where things are reaping really fast. So reap, so reap, so reap. What does it say in scripture? That the reaper will overtake the sower. Right? And the treader of grapes, the one who is raising up the grapes. So there is an acceleration of reaping and sowing, which also means even more so we have to be very mindful of holiness and cleanliness and not mixing streams. Going back to Abraham's covenant, God will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. That is accelerating right now. Touch not God's anointed, nor do his prophets any harm. That's accelerating right now. Just like Ananias and Sapphira, they lied to Peter, they lied to the Holy Spirit, and they were knocked dead. They reaped what they sowed very quickly. That's what's happening right now. There is an acceleration of reaping what you sow. So this is a warning and an encouragement at the same time. It is a warning to don't mix streams. It is an encouragement that we are going to see the results of our prayers and the results of our maturity and obedience quicker and quicker. So that's one, one thought. Um, another thought. In, in our prayer lives, <clears throat> we can pray on many levels and many, many things. And it all depends. Always, always, always seek your assignments in prayer because we have different assignments. We have different uh, character traits, different abilities, uh, different callings, uh, different places in our journey. 
So it's always seek your assignment where you are in that place. We are to pray and be in coordination with the third heaven. That's where the truth is. Then as it comes into the second heaven, there is, there is warfare, there's fighting. Uh, some things are true. Some things might come to pass. Sometimes it's the enemies conversation and enemies plans all of this happens in the second heaven and in the first heaven we see the manifestation of this onto the earth so we can pray in different areas depending on what's needed just like when daniel prayed and it took him 21 it took uh, gabriel 21 days to get through the answer was delivered and daniel was in accordance with god's will right away in the third heaven but it took 21 days to pass that truth through the second heaven and onto the earth because there was warfare involved so the prayer the reason that i'm bringing all of this up is i also have been doing a lot of battling and a lot of the battling has been breakthrough 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 pray for breakthrough helping the angelic host break through the truths of god from the third heaven through the second heaven so that it manifests onto the earth um, I was having this conversation with, with somebody uh, this week, and uh, often we'll think, ah, God, let's God, get God's will be done. Or I seek God's will, and, and I, I get a word, and then it's going to come to pass. Not so. Not so. God wants to partner with us. He wants us to learn to partner with him on how to make his truth manifest through the second heaven and into the earth. And that takes understanding and listening to his voice, hearken diligently to his voice, to do your assignment in prayer to make it manifest all the way through. So I'm praying through breakthrough, 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 and then all of a sudden this week, the Holy Spirit stopped, said stop the breakthrough. Now declare victory. We have victory already in the third heaven. Victory is done. The victory is outside of time. The victory is everlasting. What, what I'm saying is he is now declaring the warfare in the second heaven, the first stages of the victory being made manifest has begun. Because I know that I am to declare things that happen early and then it starts to pass through. It starts to pass through. And that's just part of my assignment. So I have been going vic uh, breakthrough, 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 and I'm, I'm, seeing, I'm seeing skirmishes break out and, and starting to win. But now he's saying, pray for victory through the second heaven. And if it's praying through the second heaven for victory, that means thereafter will be manifestation of the victory onto the earth. So I say that also as an encouragement, that there is a shift in the second heaven, and I noticed it this week. The Holy Spirit literally stopped me and said, stop praying for breakthrough, move on to victory. Again, victory is already in the third heaven. Always has, always will be. But now there's a shift in the second heaven, where now there, there's so much momentum of all the warfare that we have been doing, all the breakthrough that has been going on, that now the beginning stages of victory in the second heaven are starting to be made manifest. So I wanted to share um, that, that with you guys as well. Before we open in Psalm 53, go to Psalm 40, please. I'm sorry, before Isaiah 53, we go to Psalm 40. And uh, this is a, 
a famous uh, passage, well-known passage, uh, a messianic passage. But I want to lay this out in context because this goes to a whole convert, um, a whole theme underlying what we're going to speak about in Isaiah 53. So I'm going to read one verse, two verses. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? But then I'm going to back up and take this in context. And just receive is, is wherever you are. And, and I'm, I know I'm planting seeds in the spirit, in your spirit. Just receive whatever, whatever comes, to your, comes to mind on this. Psalm 40, verse 6. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears have you opened. Burnt offerings and sin offering have you not required. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. We know that that was Yeshua, right? Now let's back up. Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patient. Now think about who is speaking. Who is speaking? I waited patiently for Yahuwah, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock establish my goings and he has put a new song in my mouth even praise unto our elohim <clears throat> many shall see it and fear and trust in yahuwah blessed is that man that makes yahuwah his trust and respects not the proud nor such turn aside to lies many O yahuwah my elohim are your wonderful works which you have done and your thoughts toward us they cannot be reckoned up in order unto you. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Now, does this sound like Yeshua speaking? To me, it doesn't. Then the psalmist jumps, so it seems, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears have you opened, burnt offerings and sin offerings have you not required. Now, that also could be being applied to us. Now, context of seven. Then I, I said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. Have we been talking about scrolls in the past? Let's keep going then. I delight to do your will, O my Elohim. Yes, your Torah is within my heart. Is this true of us too? I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Yahuwah. You know. Is this not us also? I have not hid your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. Withhold not your tender mercies from me, O Yahuwah, let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. And it keeps going on. So my point is, that I, I want to share with you guys to consider, is yes, this is a messianic psalm. There's another level, though, to this that is us, including, lo, I come in the volume of the book. 
Are we not written in his books? Do we not have a scroll? <laughs> do we not come to do his will? So there's a mindset shift that he wants us to think about that it's very important to understand Yeshua is in us. We live and breathe with him. Messiah is being formed in us. And at some point in time, in order for us to be married to him, we have to be equally yoked. Now we turn to Isaiah. I'll show you one verse, and then I'm going to back up on this. Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54, verse 15. Now, this is the context of Zion. It's the context of Jerusalem. And we've talked a little bit about how those separate and how they're connected and how they become one eventually in Revelation 21. But Isaiah 54, verse uh, 15, says this. Behold, they shall surely gather together, but not by me. Now, he... Yahuwah is speaking to New Jerusalem, which is also Zion. And he's saying, they're going to be gathered. Your children are going to be gathered to you together, but not by me. Whosoever shall gather together against you shall fall for your sake. Now, over and over again in Scripture, he keeps talking about for my sake, for my name's sake, for my righteous sake. There's going to come a place in time where Zion is so together, the bride has made herself ready, that for the bride's sake, things will be done. Wow. So, lo, we come in the volume of the book to do your will, and that's what we delight in. See the double layer there? You got the messianic part, portion, but you also have his bridal portion together. Isaiah 53. Those are some initial thoughts I have to kind of link some things and some thoughts together that we're going to get into in Isaiah 53. <clears throat> so Isaiah 53, also very, very well known. Um, I am not going to get into... The, the whole study of what it's physically like on the, on, on the cross and what Yeshua went through on the during the crucifixion. Um, other people have gone into that. We're going to go into Isaiah 53, of course, in a totally different way. And we're going to do it in the context of what we've been reading <laughs> because it's going to read really differently. It's in the context of the previous chapters. It is not a standalone chapter. And I'm not going to go into the details of um, he was buried in a rich man's grave that came from Joseph of Arimathea, who is a great merchant and all these kinds of things. We're going to do this totally different. This is what I want you guys to remember as we're going into Isaiah 53. Isaiah 52 verse 4 talked about how we sold ourselves for nothing and that we're redeemed without money. That's the context. Isaiah 53 is an account of Yeshua buying us back. That's what Isaiah 53 is about. All accounts that we sold ourselves to 
have to be satisfied. Deuteronomy chapter 25. I still haven't gotten to Isaiah 53. I didn't realize I, I, there's too many things going on in my brain right now. Isaiah, I mean, Deuteronomy chapter 25. I think this is really important because Yahweh always puts in his word all of this, this depth and length of scripture that he fulfills all the time and he never breaks. And here's another layer to this, this whole idea of he had to fulfill all the accounts. So think about this. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 14. <clears throat> You shall not have in your house different measures, a great and a small, but you shall have a perfect and just weight. A perfect and just measure shall you have, that, the, that your days may be lengthened in the land which Yahweh your Elohim gives you. What is he saying? He is saying that when you, when you did an exchange with people, I'm going to exchange some wheat for a sheep. Okay, how much wheat is it? Is it one of your buckets? Is it one of my buckets? What people would have as merchants is they would have a weight system. They'd have a little balance in a scale. And what Yahweh is saying is, for my people, I require an accurate measure because a lot of people would cheat and he's saying i want an accurate measure isaiah 5 isaiah chapter 5 this is all part of isaiah uh, isaiah 53 isaiah chapter 5 <clears throat> look at this verse 14 Therefore, hell has enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure. No measurement. So we know that Yahuwah uses just and accurate measures. Satan, being the father of all lies, uses inaccurate measures and inaccurate weights. In fact, hell itself does not have a measurement. Because he could care less about having accuracy. But think about the temple. Think about Zion. Think about New Jerusalem. Yahuwah always pulls out the measuring stick and says, here is the measurement. And having this, here's the height and here's the, the distance and here's the length. He always does an accurate measure because he is always consistent. So now when we think about valuation, about Isaiah 53, Yahuwah needs to buy us back with just measures. This is Isaiah 53. So last time we spoke about valuation, our valuation, according to Yah, is himself. What is Satan's valuation of Yeshua in his kingdom of the world currency system. Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Verse 
Verse 15. We all know this. Again, this is Satan's currency system, kingdom of the world currency system, and then he puts a value on Yeshua. Matthew 26, 15. So Judas said to them, What will you give me? And I will deliver him to you. And they covenanted, they made an agreement with him for 30 pieces of silver. So Satan's valuation of Yeshua in the kingdom of the world was 30 pieces of silver. Satan was trying to be a little tricky here because going back to Exodus 21, the valuation, we won't go there, um, but the valuation put if there was an ox that killed uh, a, a man or a woman was 30 pieces of silver. So Satan is saying, eh, you're just another soul, another soul that I'm exchanging. Zechariah chapter 11. We're just opening up and setting the stages because Isaiah 53 has been taught over, over and over to us in a different way. And I want to show you that Isaiah 53 is about the fulfillment of the ransom. And it has to be done in just measure. Zechariah chapter 11. That's why I, I, I wasn't going to go into this, but I think I, I need to. Zechariah chapter 11. And let's say starting in verse 10. Yep, verse 10. Zechariah 11, verse 10. So Zechariah is seeing this prophetic in the spirit. It says, and I took my staff, beauty, it's called beauty, and I cut it asunder that I may break my covenant, which I made with all the people. So Zechariah is seeing Yahweh's staff called beauty, and this represents the covenant with all the people. And it was broken in that day, verse 11, so that the poor of the flock that waited upon me knew that it was the word of Yahweh. So everybody now sees this prophetic sign that Zechariah does. He actually takes a staff called beauty and breaks it. So it happens in the spirit and it happens in the, in the earth. Verse 12, and I said to them, if you think good, give me my price. If not, forbear or hold off. Don't buy it. So they weighed for me my price, 30 pieces of silver. And Yahweh said to me, cast it unto the potter, a goodly price that I was prized for them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them into the potter, into the house of Yahuwah. Satan knows the prophecy. And what Yahuwah was saying to Zechariah is, my covenant is going to be broken and my price is going to be 30 pieces of silver. And what is 30 pieces of silver, according to the word, it is a soul. So when Satan sees Yeshua, ah, I got him. I'm going to kill him. And the just measure, according to the word of God, is 30 pieces of silver. Satan didn't get it. There was a whole bunch of other layers that Yeshua is about to pay. 
for all accounts. So Satan is saying, ah, the breaking of the covenant. Ah, a soul is worth 30 pieces of silver. The breaking of the covenant is worth 30 pieces of silver. I know. I'm going to do a just measure back upon God and buy him for 30 pieces of silver. Now we get into Isaiah 53. Now we get into Isaiah 3. So that's the setup for Isaiah 50. I told you this would be different. Isaiah 53. But I know that's why we're all here, because we want fresh manna as Allison prays. Who, Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of Yahweh revealed? <clears throat> Who has believed our report? They should have known. They should have known Yeshua was going to come and do this. They should have known all the signs. They should have known the scriptures. They, had, they should have seen that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. They should have known the exact timing of the prophecies of Daniel. They should have known. They should have repented because God told them to repent and repent and repent. But they were infiltrated even back then by Kabbalah teachings. Even back then by the mysticism of ancient Babylon and the worship of devils. What's going on today? I mean, Tony mentioned this. We need to pray for the lost. Yeah, because why they're tied up in this world system that is tied into Kabbalah, that's tied into the worship of the devil. They have eyes and they cannot see and they have ears that they cannot hear. They should have known. Today, people should know that the Messiah can bring unity. He's the only one that will ever bring unity. All other unity is false. So who's going to believe this report? When we go out and preach, lo, we come in the volume of the book to preach the good news. Who's going to believe our report? Who's going to bring this report? So that, this, this is what Isaiah is contemplating. He's seeing this masterful plan of God. And he's like, I, I don't know how I'm going to explain this. No one's going to get it. <laughs> and what about the arm of Yahuwah? The arm of Yahuwah is Yeshua. And the arm of Yahuwah, why does God give this arm uh, analogy? What does this mean? Is because the arm reaches. It crosses planes. It crosses realms. It goes from the third realm, third heaven into the second heaven and into the first heaven onto the earth. This is seen over and over again. Uh, a few examples. Um, Exodus chapter 6. The arm of Yahweh. Who's going to believe the arm of Yahweh? <clears throat> Exodus chapter 6. Verse 6. So this is before Israel is delivered. Wherefore, say unto the children, says Exodus 6, 6. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am Yahuwah. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rid you out of the bondage. I will redeem you, trigger word, right? Redeem with a stretched out arm, Yeshua. He's going to redeem Israel with Yeshua. Psalm 98. Verse 1, 
O sing unto Yahweh a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm has gotten him the victory. Yeshua. Isaiah 30.30. The, the right arm is all over Scripture. This is also a, an indication of Yeshua, 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 Yeshua. Isaiah 30.30. Who's going to believe this, though? Isaiah 30.30. And Yahweh shall cause his glorious voice to be heard and shall show the lighting down of his arm. Isaiah 40, verse 10. We're still in Isaiah. Behold, Yahuwah Adonai will come with the strong right hand and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. Who's going to believe this? We even read about the strong right arm already in this, this section, Isaiah 51. Isaiah 51, verse 9. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of Yahuwah. Awake as in the ancient days, in the generations of old. Aren't you not that he that cut out Rahab and wounded the dragon? Referring back to the deliverance of Egypt. So awake. Do it again. Isaiah 52, verse 10. We read this as well. And Yahuwah will make bare his holy arm in the eyes of all nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation. So now we're tying the arm of Yahuwah to salvation. It is Yeshua. So who's going to believe this report? Pray. This is another thing, another way to, um, to pray. Interface with the realm of the right arm. Interface with the realm of the right arm. There's power, there's anointing, there's an ability to stretch from the third heaven down into the first heaven with that. Verse 2. <clears throat> Verse 2. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground he has no form nor comeliness and when we shall see him there is no beauty that we should desire him um be careful and, and I, i'm not gonna again i'm gonna kind of hi highlight a few things there's so much in here and i want to highlight some things but i do want to comment real quick on this verse be careful in judging young plants meaning be careful in judging people too soon before they bear fruit because wheat and tear look the same when they're young and the only way that you can really understand is you need to hear and see in the spirit from the third heaven the second heaven will lie to you but hear and see in the third heaven how you are supposed to bless that person so be patient with people as God is patient with people, and he is long-suffering. So I'm just saying that because that, that I see that over and over again. We need to breathe into people when they look like tares because wheat and tares look really similar until the very end. 
before they start bearing fruit. Verse 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. That's because we've all turned astray. All have sinned. We cannot look on the Holy One apart from him being in us. So now I want to start slowing down a little bit in the next couple of verses. So a couple critical words here in verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs. What this means, borne is the same word as armor bearer. Griefs is not really the right word in the Hebrew. It actually is sickness and disease. Dis-ease. So anything that makes us uncomfortable, and then anything that also causes us to be sick. And by the way, most sicknesses come from stress. It comes from stress, not just outward stress. Oh, I'm working too hard, that kind of stress. I'm talking about stress on our cells, stress on our stomachs, stress on our brains, stress, stress, stress. So it's it's dis-ease. Anything that's causing us to break down toward death. So it's much bigger than just being sick. It is anything that is bringing death. He is our armor bearer. He is our shield of faith to deflect the fiery arrows of the enemy. That's what he's getting at. Surely he has been our armor bearer against anything that comes against us. That's what he's saying. And carried our sorrow. We have sorrows associated with anything that's coming against us that's bringing in death. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Our understanding of this has to be we esteemed him stricken and smitten and afflicted was so that we actually thought Yeshua deserved suffering. That's what Satan was thinking. We actually, in our flesh, come into agreement, ah, and you'll see where I'm going with this. Ah, maybe he did something wrong. (laughs) You know, you are still not receiving the breakthrough of God. You are still sick because of a lack of faith. Right? The same words. We esteemed him to be stricken and punished by God because of something he did. That's how little understanding we really have. We're in that category of mankind that we looked at Yeshua. Yeah, maybe he was a thief. Maybe he was a liar. Maybe he was a blasphemer. Maybe you don't have enough faith for the breakthrough. Maybe you don't have enough faith to pray for the sick. Maybe you don't have enough faith to be speaking in tongues. That's the mentality that Satan has because Satan is doing these exchanges all the time. But praise be to God, verse 5 has a big B-U-T there. But, but, so we thought there was something that he deserved. But, 
here's the transaction. And I want you guys now to look at the next couple of verses almost in reverse from what you have in the past. So he was wounded for our transgressions. Now, transgression, we know there, there's sin, there's transgression, there's iniquity. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, this constant attack against our peace, shalom, spirit, soul, and body, was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. The consequences of sin is death. So we got sin, we have transgression, we have iniquities, and we have this constant state of lack of peace or lack of rest. That but means this is why he did this. Now, to reverse all the thinking is this is what we sold ourselves to. So he had to reverse the transactions and to fulfill the transactions. Realize when, when Isaiah said you sold yourselves for nothing, we actually sold ourselves for transgressions. So our transgressions, then we get wounded. What a great deal. Satan comes to us and says, how about you disobey God's word and I'll give you some wounding. Oh, I got a better idea. How about I put some iniquity. You come into agreement with me. I'll do some generational iniquity for you. And then on top of that, I'm going to bruise you. What? what kind of deal is this? Oh, how about this? You give up your peace and I'll chastise you. These are the transactions that we've been making. Or how about you give up your good health and I'm going to beat you and lash you with stripes. This is why Yeshua had to do it this way. He had to cancel and fulfill all debts and all accounts that we did. So we literally came to Satan and said, you know what? I kind of like doing that transgression. That sounds like a really good idea. And in exchange, I'd like some wounding, please. Isn't that what happens when we disobey God? We get wounded. So that's the transaction that we make every time we're disobedient. So Yeshua says, guys, I'm going to do both for you. I'm going to take away the transaction of transgression for wounding. So I'm going to have to do both. I'm going to take away your mess of, trans, of transgression, which is disobedience. And then I'm going to have to take care of the thing that you paid, you, you paid to get, which was the wounding. You guys seeing this? They, these are all exchanges. These are all deals we cut. And we thought Yeshua died for something he did. No, 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 no. He died to cancel and fulfill all of our transactions because it has to be just and measured. It has to be a full, proper scale. Hell does it without measure. Yahweh is a God of order. Everything is measured out. Everything is perfectly done. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. Can you see how God's heart breaks 
for how dumb we've been? Verse 6, all we like sheep, all, 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 that means me too, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. This is the state we're in before Yeshua comes and picks us up. And Yahuwah has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Without the Holy Spirit, we have no hope. Without, without Yeshua's resurrection, Paul says, we're, we're all in a mess. We're all in a mess. I'm reminded of this every day. Every day I think that without Yeshua, I'm nothing. If sheep go to their own way, And without a shepherd, if the shepherds are removed, if shepherds are corrupted, and we're wandering around as sheep, we actually will break off and we'll get caught in the bramble. We'll get caught in the ditch. We'll get eaten by wolves. We'll walk off cliffs. Sheep are really, really dumb. And this is why Yahuwah in this word over and over again blasts the false shepherds, blasts the bad shepherds, blast the false and bad prophets over and over again because he assigned them knowing that the general majority of the people that he loves need help because they're constantly doing these transactions. Deuteronomy chapter 22. Verse 1, you shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep go astray and hide yourself from them. You shall in any case bring them again to your brother. We are to father other people. That's what I was speaking about Sunday night. We are to watch out for the other sheep. If you have your eyes open because you're now following the shepherd, it is your duty, it is your call on earth to look around to your left and to your right and look for another sheep that's totally lost and help them out. You're not supposed to look away from the other sheep that are lost. That's what Deuteronomy 22 is saying. Psalm 119. Yet God is so good that even when we don't do what we're supposed to do to help out the other sheep, Psalm 119, 176. Sometimes if people get in their heart a spirit of repentance, this happens. Psalm 119, the very last verse of the chapter. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. If people get into the place of a repentant heart, he then directly becomes the good shepherd and will save them. That's why we, we did our study in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, he says this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25. For you as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of our souls. 
back to Isaiah. The sheep were astray. The shepherds were gone. So the great shepherd had to come. And he had to cancel and fulfill all debts and all transactions. Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as the sheep before the shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. And I was meditating on this. I'm like, okay. So Yeshua, I, I get that you had to fulfill all this. But why is there this passage about your mouth that you had to be quiet? <laughs> and he shared with me. He said, Don, if I were to open my mouth, the events of the earth, the events that were planned would change because every time I speak, everything comes into existence. Every time I speak, the angels hearken to my voice. I, I had to limit what I said because I could only say what was in the volume of the book in the suffering that was taking place. If I were to declare my kingship more to Pilate, then I would manifest kingship onto the earth too soon. He had to be quiet. His voice is so powerful that all of creation leaps and goes boom and goes into existence. And if he said, yes, I am the king of Israel, he would have been king 2,000 years ago. So he said, no, 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 Pilate, you said it. I didn't say it. You said it. <laughs> because if he said, if Pilate said it, nothing would happen. But if Yeshua said it, it would happen. So he had to be quiet. He had to hold his mouth. The only time he really spoke up is when Caiaphas said, uh, Yeshua, I got these witnesses against you. I know they're lying. You know they're lying. I adjure you by the law. You better speak up. Otherwise, you're now in breaking the law because you are looking at the false witnesses, hearing the false witnesses, not speaking up. So then he spoke up just a little bit. Think about in the garden when the soldiers come to him. We are looking for Yeshua of Nazareth. I am he. Boom. They hit the deck. That's just a little taste of him opening his mouth. He had to go silent with his mouth held back. So think about when he starts to speak. That's the power of it. Isaiah 53, verse 8. I think it's so cool. He speaks. Water. Thunder, lightnings, earthquakes, everything rearranges in heaven. Everything rearranges in the earth. <laughs> oh, so I'm going to say this. Too. I mentioned Psalm 40. The more we walk with Yeshua, the more we become like him, the more our thoughts are his thoughts and our words are his words, the more anointed and the more power there is in the tongue over death and life. That's why the more we are walking in maturity, the more we have to be very, very careful of what we say because it will come to pass. Even to the point that if you hear God's judgment upon somebody, 
you better be very, very careful in declaring that. Only declare that. If he tells you that and you get confirmation of that. I've had that done a couple times where he said, I want you to release something. And I said, no, 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 I'm not releasing that because I know what's going to happen. That's where we're going, folks. For those that are close to him, that's where we're going. Back to Isaiah 53. Verse 8. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. Once again, it was for our transgression. It wasn't by the Jews. It wasn't by the Romans. It wasn't by the ignorance. It wasn't by the, the, the Pharisees. It was us. This is done for us. Because we were the ones that said, disobedience, I'd love to give you some disobedience, Satan, and you give me some wounding. Iniquity, love the iniquity piece, I'll take some bruising, please. That's why he had to do this. Just measures. Verses 9 through 11. <clears throat> and he made his grave with the grave with the wicked and the rich in death, because he had done no violence. Neither was there any deceit in his mouth. mouth. Yet it pleased Yahuwah to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you shall make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of Yahuwah shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Not only did Yahuwah fulfill all of our debts and all of these covenants and all these transactions that we made with Satan, he is actually getting a bigger return on investment. Because he's actually going to take pleasure in justifying many. What's the return on investment? The return on investment is what I've been hinting at. Christ in us. Not only do we get freed from all these transactions we made, we get amplified and grown exponentially because Christ now goes in us. Kind of Selah, think about that. If his voice was so powerful that he had to be quiet, what happens when his voice is made manifest in tens, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of his remnant throughout the earth, causing a frequency in the earth to be a frequency of heaven? That's an ROI. That's a return on investment. This whole chapter is about merchandising and payback, redemption, the kinsman redeemer. 
Even death and hell had to be satisfied. And that's why he says that he had to bought the grave. Death and hell had to be satisfied in the transactions. John chapter 12. You want to see ROI? There's a verse that speaks directly to it. John chapter 12. Verse 24. This verse now makes a lot of sense. Verily, verily means absolutely for sure pay attention. I say unto you, except a corn of wheat or a seed of wheat, and what are we? We are the wheat. Fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit or ROI. So by having Yeshua actually die as part of this transaction, he then justifies many. And it's not that, this is so cool, it is not that we come forth as wheat, we actually come forth as wheat intermingled with Yeshua in us. Don't think of yourselves as independent wheat from Yeshua. No, 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 no. You are intertwined in all aspects of Yeshua, and Yeshua is coming forth. He's the seed, which means the, the, the wheat coming forth comes from him. It's the same essence. It's not that he dies in the ground, and then Todd comes forth, and Laura comes forth, and Kendra comes forth, and Kate. No, 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 no. He dies in the ground, and all of us come forth together with his seed in us. Remember I talked about intermingling and don't intermingle? He's not going to intermingle with us unless we're like kind. Selah. Receive that. <laughs> That's an ROI. Selah. Receive that. Back to Isaiah 53. <clears throat> I, I remember when I was young in faith, and I heard the Holy Spirit speaking to me of this, that, and it was in a different way, not, not nearly with the understanding that I have now, but it was in a different way. And I read this passage that said, and you will be like Christ. And I said that to somebody. That, that resonated with my spirit. And the person who I trusted said, no, you're taking that totally out of context. You would never be like Christ. For years, that seed that was planted in me was taken, planted in my heart, was taken by the enemy. Because that that was said no to me by someone who I trusted. But now, so much more. That, that seed can't get taken anymore. It is deep, deep, deep in the soil. And it's already bearing fruit. And now the fruit is coming out to other people. So be careful, again, of mixing streams. Isaiah 53, back to verses 9 and 11. I want to share this, this word with you guys because this is real important. 
out of verse 10. Yet it pleased Yahuwah to bruise him. Bruising could be, ah, I bumped my arm against the table and I get bruised. Bruising could be, um, uh, you know, I, I, I felt, uh, something fell on me, I get bruised. That's not what this means. Bruising the Hebrew, it's Hebrew strong 1792, is da ka. This is what it means to break into pieces, to crush, to destroy, to collapse physically or mentally. Absolute annihilation. It is like take, taking uh, some substance and taking a, a, a stone to it and crushing it and grinding it into nothing. It is also indicating why did this have to happen? Why did the father have to do this to the son? To substitute again in every way what we had sold ourselves to. Nothing. And then he talks about a soul offering that it pleased him that his soul would be an offering for sin. Mark chapter 12. This now has, to me, a deeper understanding. Mark chapter 12, and this is when he's summarizing the covenant into two commandments. Verse 33, Mark 12, verse 33. So we're supposed to love Yahuwah with all of our heart, with all of the understanding, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength to love his neighbor and to love his neighbor as ourselves. It is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Think about what the Holy Spirit just said in that verse. Just tied a whole bunch of things together that we've been talking about. Lo, I come in the volume of the book. Burnt offerings and sacrifices have, have you no pleasure in. Now Yeshua is saying, if you give up all of your soul for me, you lay it down, it is better than a burnt offering or a sacrifice. So low we come in the volume of the book. It is written of us. Which totally makes sense. If his seed goes into the ground and it produces like fruit, which is us, Lo, we come in the volume of the book because he came in the volume of the book. And the greatest offering that we have to give is our soul. Yeshua gave his soul and was crushed for our souls. That's why we go back to Peter. The salvation of the soul is the key. It is the tie between the spirit and the body. That's why this place on earth and this time on earth is so, so, so vital to everything for our lives in eternity in the millennial kingdom. And so, so vital for the coordination of heaven and earth again. We have no idea of our valuation. So let's keep going. Back to Isaiah 53. Here comes the final component of the transaction because I say I said Isaiah 53 is is all about this exchange and redemption of the exchange verse 12 
Here we go. Therefore, will I divide him, this is Isaiah 53, verse 12, a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong. Now, when, when do you divide a spoil? When you have victory. Because he has poured out his soul, Yeshua, unto death. Everything. He cleaned up everything, even all the way to death. He was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore, there's that armor bearer word, the sin of many. And made intercession for the transgressors. This word numbered. He was numbered with the transgressors. He did something independent from us. And then he also, because of just weights and measures, also had to be with us. That's why he had to do all these exchanges of bruising and wounding and stripes and chastisement and all these other things. So the word numbered in Strong's is 4487. It means, the word is ma'nao, ma'nao. It means to weigh out. It shouldn't have been numbered. It should be he weighed out the price for all of the transgressors. A just measure, a just scale. So that he could pour out the payment or the ransom. And the payment and the ransom price was his own soul, because that's what he values us at. It was Satan's price in his currency, 30 pieces of silver. It was the price for all of our terrible deals where we sold ourselves for nothing. And Yeshua had to weigh it all out to have it completely done with, literally freeing us from all of our bad deals. Then it's done on the Mount of Olives, which is also called Golgotha, which means skull. And the reason that it's done there as the skull is he came out through Jerusalem through the Mikkaud gate that crossed the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives. And that gate was the counting of the sheep gate for a census. So what would happen in Israel when everybody would come into Israel for one of the three feast period times, they all came into Jerusalem, they would go through this gate for the census, and they would be counted on the skull, the Mount of Olives. They'd go through the sheep gate and be counted on the skull. So what is Yeshua doing by being on the Mount of Olives? He is weighing how many skulls, how many sheep he is going to have to pay for. And then the transgression or the, the whole transaction is complete. 
That's what he did. So much depth to this. So much depth. He keeps going, of course. So with that said, Isaiah 54. Because I do want to get into this a little bit too. We have a little bit more time. Should we? Um, quick, quick, quick feedback. Should we stop here and have more kind of discussion, or should I go a little farther in Isaiah 54? We're not going to get through all, all that. We're just going to do a few verses in Isaiah 54. Um, what do you guys think? Put it in the chat. A little farther, a little farther. Okay. Okay. Isaiah 54. Um, I, has this been a little, Isaiah 53 been a different type of study on Isaiah 53? Is this, this good? There's a lot of, there's a lot of Selah in, in, in what we discussed here that <clears throat> I want you guys to go back and really just receive re, re, receive the transaction that was done for you. Real, real important. Receive the transaction. That it goes to this, this weird thing that we have in the spirit that we are filled with sin and we're completely unworthy and yet We've been made without sin and made completely worthy. We have the spirit of Yeshua, but we also have the spirit of the fear of Yahuwah at the same time. We did these awful transactions and everything is laid out for us in Isaiah 53. And then at the end of Isaiah, Isaiah 53, he says, and I've weighed everything that you've done on the scale of a just scale and I've completed the transaction and I'm dividing the spoils for victory. Have that Selah into your heart. Isaiah 54. <clears throat> now that the transaction's done, remember, we started off in Isaiah maybe 48, 49 or so, talking about Zion. So how, how is this with Zion? Well, Zion has been saying, what about me? Remember that one passage in Isaiah 54 that we started with? The heavens are becoming aligned. The earth is becoming aligned. And Isaiah, and maybe verse 14 says, but Yahuwah, what about me? Here we go, Isaiah 54. What, I, what Yeshua did in Isaiah 53 is what about Zion? We're going to see this. Isaiah 54, because it's all one flow, all one story. Isaiah 54, verse 1. Sing, O barren. Now, why do you sing? You can sing in grief, but he's getting singing in terms of rejoicing because he just divided the spoil. Sing, O barren, you that did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, like in, in, in terms of joy that you did not travail with child for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, says Yahuwah. Man, is this verse loaded. So let's break this down a little bit. First of all, who is he speaking to? He's speaking to the married woman. 
He's speaking to the mother. And we know in the context of what we've been reading, this is Zion. Zion never got divorced. There's a lot, there's a, there's a lot of little details and nuggets. Zion get, is married to Yahuwah. Zion is connected to Jerusalem on earth. Yahuwah picks out Jerusalem, sets up Zion right next to it as a fortress, and says, here's going to be my little seed that I'm going to plant to connect Zion in heaven with Zion onto the earth. And it's going to overtake Jerusalem. That's my plan. It's not Jerusalem right now, but it's eventually going to overtake Jerusalem. So there's, there's, there's this connection. Then his people are the children of Zion onto the earth. But his people are lost. They get delivered. They messed up, of course, in the garden. They get delivered. They get married then directly to Yahuwah so that they can then become Zion on earth. But they totally mess up. It's so fragmented that part, in fact, most of Israel, his people, who are the children of Zion, get divorced. Some of them remain married, and they're worse than the ones that got divorced. So the whole thing is just one big mess, and Zion is saying, ah, my people, I'm bare. I have no children. You forgot about me. You're doing all the stuff in the earth, and this thing is a mess. That's Zion. But now, we just read, Yeshua has ransomed Zion's children. Look at Galatians chapter 4. So Yeshua says, sing. I just did what you've been crying out for. Galatians chapter 4. There's, there's some things in in, in the writings of Paul, that at the very end of Peter, Peter says, mm, you know, yeah, Paul's a great guy, but he says some things that are really, really hard to understand. I think we're starting to get some understanding on some of the things that Paul said. He was speaking in so, so few words, but so much depth to it. Here's an example of this. So in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, start there. Okay, yeah, yeah, verse 19, perfect. Galatians 4.19, my little children, whom I travail in birth again until Messiah is formed in you. He just like summarized everything that we've been talking about for maybe a couple studies. Right there. <laughs> he tied in that he's travailing in birth. He's coming alongside of Zion, actually. That's what he's saying. I'm coming alongside of Zion to birth you again. I'm travailing in birth because I'm with the barren married woman who does not have kids. And the way that I'm going to have kids is Yeshua died in the ground and is producing forth his own being, his own essence in you. So Messiah is actually being birthed in you. And the more you are like Messiah, the more you will be ready to go into Zion and be one. He's saying all that in that first, that one verse. I desire to be present with you as now and to change my voice for I stand in doubt of you. Tell me you that desire to be under the law. And he starts to go on to this, 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 this whole allegory now, and you'll see this. Verse 26. 
But Jerusalem, which is above, is free. This is Zion. We know this because other passages talk about New Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 21 is the holy city. It is Zion. Um, but Jerusalem, which is above, which is the mother of us all, that's the married woman that Isaiah is talking about. So Paul is clearly talking about Isaiah. He's referencing all this. For it is written, and now he quotes it, Rejoice, you barren that bear not. Break forth and cry, you that travail not. For the desolate has many more children than what she has a husband. He's, he's quoting Isaiah 54 when he says, my children, he is using the voice of Zion through him. I am travailing for you on behalf of Zion. Yowza. It keeps going, and he, he talks about uh, verse uh, 28. Now, we brothers, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then... He that was born after the flesh, who's also in bondage, he refers to bondage back in verse 25. The reason they're in bondage is because they sold themselves for nothing to the kingdom of this world and the king of this world and the currency of this world. We look all around us and everybody sold themselves for nothing. And Paul's saying, Zion cries out for her kids because there's more children of the unmarried wife in the kingdom of the world than of the married wife, which is Zion. He's saying all of that in chapter 4. Sarah had to wait a long time for Isaac. Rachel had to wait a long time for Joseph. Um, Manoah's wife had to wait a long time for Samson. Hannah had to wait a long time for Samuel. Elizabeth had to wait a long time for John the Baptist. Yeshua is working with Zion, and he's waiting a long time for us to come into maturity. Zion brings forth only a few, but it included Yeshua, and his seed will then begin to multiply, and that's why the wheat comes right at the end, and Yeshua says, angels, thrust in the sickle, but not too soon. Because you're going to see an explosion of the children of Zion at the end. Do not do it too soon because the tares look like the wheat. And the wheat look like the tares. Until they burst forth and the pressure is put on them. This is part of Revelation and part of the tribulation. The pressure, the tribulation reveals truly who we are. Everything is good when a, when a sports team is winning. can't see all the warts. You can't see all the problems underneath. Everything is good when the military is just riding through and there's no opposition. But when it gets stressful, people start breaking off. We are going through birthing pains to see who are the children of Zion? Who are the children of the unmarried woman? The harlot, Revelation chapter 17. This is what he's saying. Let's stop there. 
Let's stop there in Isaiah 54. Because um, my, my next launching point, I think, in Isaiah uh, 54 was like a big chunk. Yeah, I think it's going to be a big chunk. So the next verse, just to also emphasize what I just said here at the end with the children of Zion, Isaiah 54, 2. Enlarge the place of your tent, Zion, and let them stretch forth the curtains of your habitations. Spare not. Means don't be, don't be frugal in enlarging your tent. I want a lot of tents, is what he's saying. Zion, you cried out. What about me? I'm about to give it to you. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you shall break forth on the right hand and on the left. And your seed, us, the children, who's also the seed of Yeshua, shall inherit the nations, the whole place and make desolate the cities of habitation. Um, I think I do want to share this about, about nations. Yeah, let me share this about nations. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32. To show you nations, what are the sheep nations that Dan's talking about? Deuteronomy chapter 32. This is exciting. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 32. Verse 8, this is Moses right at the end, and he's giving his last words to Israel before they go into the land without him. Deuteronomy 32, verse 8. He's recapping a whole bunch of things in his song. When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam... He set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. What Isaiah is saying is, Zion, get ready for all of these kids. They're going to come to you. Prepare your tents because they will dwell with you forever and ever, and they are going to inherit not just the nations and what, what is the number of nations. It's all of the nations because according to Deuteronomy 32 and other passages, God numbered the nations and set boundaries by the number of the children of Israel. And if the children of Israel have responsibility or numbering of all the nations, and the children of Israel are the children of Zion, which we are, that means all nations will come under the direct supervision and authority of Zion's kids. When Daniel is speaking about in his book, The Sheep Nations, those are the nations that are starting to manifest being a true sheep and hearing the voice of God, those are the pockets that are ma manifesting their connection with Zion. And then when Zion fully reaps all of her children, and now this is made manifest after the tribulation, the whole earth comes under her jurisdiction. 
Zion cries out, what about me? She gets to inherit all of her children and more because the ROI is great. And she inherits all of the earth. So why is that a big deal? Because your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if he wanted alignment, get ready for this. I'll finish with this. If he wanted alignment on the earth through us, if we are married to him in the heavens, so shall we be married on the earth. And if we are married on the earth, that means the heaven and the earth is married and in proper alignment. We rule the heavens with him. We rule the earth with him. Everything is in alignment. That is Zion's heart. You said, I would be your wife forever and ever. You said that you are the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, if I am your wife, that means all of my kids are tied to you, and I am your wife, meaning in heaven, but I also have this seed that you planted in the earth called Zion that's right next to Jerusalem that is going to manifest and burst forth on the earth, which means all of the earth then is being called the married land. Oh, I got to share this with you then. Isaiah 62. I didn't know I was going to go there. Isaiah 62. Todd, are you making this up? No. Isaiah keeps going in 62, which we'll get to like, um, I don't know, by the end of the year, maybe. <laughs> Isaiah 62, um, verse, 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 verse 4. Isaiah 62, verse 4. This is all one big thought, one big passage. It is so complex. Um, you shall no more be termed forsaken. Who is he talking about? Isaiah 62, 1. For Zion's sake. We're still talking about Zion in, in Isaiah 62. Verse 4. You, Zion, shall no more be termed forsaken. You're not a forsaken married woman anymore. I heard your cry out. Neither shall your land be termed desolate, but you shall be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah. What does it mean? Hespilah, you, Zion, for you will be called Yahuwah delights in you, and your land, which is now the earth, shall be called married. He's not referring to the children being married. He's already married to Zion now. The children then get married and they become one with Zion because Zion's married, children are married. Now he's going to say when that happens, then they will inherit the entire earth and then the entire earth itself gets married and everything is in alignment. Yowza. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you, thank you, thank you for the glory that you have placed in us, for the seed of Yeshua that is being birthed in us, that we live and we breathe in him, that we have our being and our life in him, that he poured out his soul as an offering for us, and the valuation that you have placed on us is Yeshua himself. Holy Spirit, I ask that you take your words that you wrote through your prophet to lift up Yeshua. And Yeshua is the word that it would soak deep, deep, deep into our being 
spirit, soul, and body, that it would soak deep into our hearts, that we would accelerate growth and maturity in Yeshua. That our light would burst forth into this dark world. So, Father, we cry out with Zion, come out of her, my people, come out of Babylon, come unto the king of kings. Come unto the Redeemer, the kinsman Redeemer, who has redeemed you without money. Come and buy milk and honey without money. Get free from Satan and the kingdom of this world. We cry unto the earth, your time is coming and you will be redeemed and married. And like Isaiah said, Father, send me. Send me to come in the volume of the book. Send me to pour out as a soul offering unto you. For you died that you would bring forth life. Father, I thank you that you made us in your image because I know that is the only way that we can receive any revelation from your omniscience and from the mind of Yeshua. For you are expanse. You are expansive. You are without end. Your love, your grace, your mercy, your truth, your goodness, your kindness, your patience, your wrath, your judgment, your righteousness, your holiness, it is without end. And we thank you that you call us friends, that you share things with us before you do them. And you are doing this victory onto the earth. So may we come into agreement with our assignments. May we hearken diligently to the voice of your words, obey your commandments, and do our assignments so that we would be the praise of your glory and manifest the presence of Yeshua onto the earth. We pray all this in his name. Amen. You've just listened to Todd Talks here at Bride Ministries International. Be sure to visit our website at bridemovement.com. You can support us by leaving a donation. You can also check out our other offerings, such as our church. You can check out our institute. We offer prayer resources and, of course, so much more.